All right, well, it's great to be together this morning, and welcome to Grace Church here at the Medina East Campus as we are talking about making ourselves uncomfortable. Uh, You can probably tell from the series title that we're in, uh, we are having this conversation about what it means to make ourselves uncomfortable. This is actually a series we've been in for the past few weeks. This is the third week that we've been in this conversation together. And so if you're a guest with us or you're just joining us here today, welcome to uh, the conversation. But my guess is if you are newer here, you might be asking yourself this question, why in the world would anybody purposefully and willingly make themselves uncomfortable, right? Because all of us, we all like to be comfortable. So why would we purposefully and willingly put ourselves in a position of discomfort when we could be comfortable? Well, what we're talking about in this series is we're actually talking through a very, very important statement that we've been looking at for the past few weeks. And this is a statement that we're actually going to be looking at for the next several weeks. And just to recap, if you were with us, here is that statement once again. This is the statement that we've been looking at together, talking through, and it's this. It's that when the people of God become uncomfortable for the things of God, it unleashes the power of God, and we join the unstoppable movement of God. Okay, so again, the statement that we're looking through, just once again, is this, that when the people of God, when God's people become uncomfortable for the things of God, It unleashes the power of God, and we get to join the unstoppable movement of God. And here's why we've been saying this statement is so important. Uh, You're not actually going to find this statement in the Bible, but here's what we said. You said you're actually going to find this all throughout the Bible as a pattern, that this actually resembles a pattern that we we see all throughout the pages of Scripture, that when God's people purposefully and willingly put themselves outside of their comfort zones, right, when they step out in faith for the things that God said and for the, thing that God, the things that God loves, we said that that actually unleashes power. God's power is unleashed in that person's life. God's power is unleashed in the world. And we actually get to be part of this unstoppable movement, this thing that God is already doing in the world that we get to jump in and be part of. And so we said this actually reflects a pattern that we see all throughout the pages of Scripture. But not only that, we also said... This statement is also an invitation. Uh, We believe it's an invitation to each and every single person in this room, that when the people of God, that when those of us who follow Jesus, and by the way, just to be clear, I know that not everyone in this room today maybe makes that claim about themselves. Maybe you're a person that's still investigating the whole Jesus conversation. But for those of us who follow Jesus, we're saying this is an invitation, that when God's people purposefully step out of their comfort zone and they make themselves uncomfortable for the things that matter to God, it actually unleashes God's power in your life and in this world, and we get to be part of this incredible movement. And so because of that, we're spending some time to just talk about this. What does it mean for the people of God to be uncomfortable? What does it look like for the power of God to be unleashed? And what does it mean to be part of an unstoppable movement? So what we're doing in this series in particular is we're actually talking about the first part of this statement, right? We're talking about practically speaking, what does it mean for the people of God to be uncomfortable for the things of God, right? How do we do this? What are some practical, tangible ways that those of us who follow Christ, those of us who follow God, how do we make ourselves uncomfortable for the things of God? So each week, what we're doing then is we're actually talking about one practical aspect of how we can do this. Like, how can we make ourselves uncomfortable for the things of God? Now, I just want to remind you, this is the third uh, talk in this series. And so if you missed the previous talks, I actually would encourage you to go back and listen to those. Uh, We laid a very important foundation over the past couple of weeks that you don't want to miss. And so you can go back, you can listen to that, watch that on our podcast, on our app, on our website. All of those platforms are for free. We'd encourage you to do that. But today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about yet another aspect of what it means to become uncomfortable for the things of God. And so here's what we're gonna be talking about today. We're gonna, we're gonna be talking about for the people of God to be uncomfortable for the things of God, part of what that looks like is that we have to be willing to embrace something that we're gonna call uncomfortable equipping. Okay, so today, this is what we're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about what does it mean to be uncomfortable for the things of God? We're gonna find today that part of what it looks like to be uncomfortable for the things of God is embracing this idea, this concept of uncomfortable equipping. Now, some of you might be thinking to yourself, what in the world does that even mean? Uh, Where do we find that? And then how do you do that? And that's actually what we're gonna spend the rest of our time talking about, is really kind of explaining this idea of what it means to embrace uncomfortable equipping. So to do that, I wanna encourage you, why don't you get your Bibles out? I'll show you right where it comes from. It comes from a passage in the Bible in Ephesians chapter four. So why don't you grab your Bibles if you got them, and we're gonna go together to Ephesians chapter four. And so feel free to get there in your Bible. If you need a Bible, if you don't have a Bible of your own, Feel free to grab one of our Bibles, turn to page 815 
Uh, you can make use of those Bibles. And if you don't own a copy of the Bible, I would just encourage you, you can feel free just to have one of ours. You can take it home with you, make that a gift from us to you. We think it's important that you have a Bible of your own. So Ephesians 4, go ahead and, uh, and get there. Um, so as we kind of tee up this conversation about equipping, what it means to embrace uncomfortable equipping, let me start by asking a question that might get the conversation rolling a little bit. So uh, just by show of hands, how many of you would say, that more or less, you grew up going to church. You're like, yeah, I, kinda, I grew up going to church, kind of-ish. Yeah, most of, okay, so that's most of us in the room. Obviously, not everybody. Uh, some of you are kind of new to the whole church thing. And admittedly, church people do some weird stuff, right? We understand that. And so if you're newer to the church, you're like, this is a little bit strange for me. And uh, we, understand, we understand that. But if you grew up in the church, here's my guess. So I kind of I grew up going to the church-ish. I sort of grew up going to church. And my guess is, if you're a person who grew up in the church, that your experience probably reflected something that we sometimes hear call the Papa Bear approach, all right? So again, my guess is that if you, wrote, if you raised your hand and said you grew up in the church, that most likely your experience in the church that you grew up in reflected something that we around here sometimes call the Papa Bear approach or the Papa Bear model, some of you are like, well, what are you talking about? Well, here, here's what I'm referring to. The Papa Bear model actually refers to a traditional way in which Americans understand and operate with the way church functions. Right? It's kind of the traditional church mindset in our country. So I'll explain it this way. So you can envision it like this. Uh, at any church, at any given church, you have a Papa Bear, okay? And so basically the Papa Bear, or maybe there's one, maybe there's two. The Papa Bear is essentially the person uh, who does the ministry, Right? They're the ones who are trained, they went to school, they went to seminary, and they're the, min they're the minister. And so whatever that might look like in your background, so maybe for you this was the pastor, or this was the reverend, or this was the priest, depending on what your background might be, but they were the one who was kind of the ordained person, they were the minister, they were the one who did ministry. And in the traditional model that we've seen in, in America, basically the way it works is Papa Bear then has a congregation of cubs, Right? So Papa Bear has a bunch of cubs. And so whenever these cubs have some type of spiritual need in their life, they go to Papa Bear. Right? And Papa Bear is the one who will administer or who will provide for the spiritual needs of his cubs. And so Papa Bear does the ministry. The cubs are the one who receive from that ministry. So for example, right, if a cub wants to know the Bible, wants to understand what the Bible says and what the Bible teaches, what they'll do is they'll go and they'll, they'll listen to Papa Bear. Uh, Papa Bear is the one who studies the Bible. Papa Bear is the one who has a deeper understanding of things like theology and those kind of things. And so the cubs come to be fed by Papa Bear, right? And so I just, I'm coming to be fed by Papa Bear. Or uh, how about this one? If one of the cubs needs counseling, uh, maybe premarital counseling, mar marital counseling, any type of counseling, spiritual direction, basically they'll go to Papa Bear. Papa Bear will be the one who helps that person uh, kind of get through biblical counseling together. Uh, help add spiritual direction. They'll provide that spiritual service for the cub, and uh, the cub will have its spiritual needs met that way. Or let's say you have a person, one of the cubs uh, has a sin that they want to confess. And what they do is they go to Papa Bear. Actually, I grew up this way. This is how I grew up. I grew up that if I needed to confess my sins, I, I had to go to the priest. And if I went to the priest and I confessed my sins, the priest would absolve me of those sins. And basically, Papa Bear was the one who would meet that spiritual need. If you had um, a friend, let's say you had a friend who was interested in spiritual things, and they had questions about God and questions about the Bible, you would take that person with you to Papa Bear, right? And you would, you'd say, well, let's go to Papa Bear. Papa Bear is going to help us answer some of these questions that you have about these spiritual things or whatever it might be. Um, if you had a hospital need, you're in the hospital and you needed to be prayed for before a surgery, Papa Bear would be the one who would come and kind of supply that need for you. And on and on, I think the illustration goes kind of that way. But basically the idea is Papa Bear is the one who does the ministry and the cubs are the one who receive that ministry and their spiritual needs are met. Now let me just ask you again, for those of you who showed your hands, how many, raised your hands earlier, how many of you would say more or less that pretty much explains what your church background looked like? Yeah, okay, so again, it's most of us. We kind of do that. Now, here's, and that's mine too. What I experienced growing up in church, my, my exposure to church was very much like this. Now, the reason I bring this up is because what we're gonna look at today is we're gonna look at Ephesians chapter four, and we're gonna see a picture of what the church, uh, how God designed the church to work and to operate, all right? And what I'm just gonna tell you right from the beginning is it is actually an incredibly 
different picture than what we see on the screen right here. The the picture that we're going to look at together in Ephesians chapter 4 is going to reflect something that is characteristically different uh, than the Papa Bear model, than the Papa Bear approach that we see. So before we dig into it, let me just kind of give you a little background on the book of Ephesians. So we're in Ephesians chapter 4. So the book of Ephesians is actually a letter written to a group of people in a city called Ephesus, and it was written by a guy named Paul. So Paul, some of you are familiar with with him. If you're not a Bible person, you're probably familiar with Paul. Paul was an apostle, which basically meant that he uh, was an early church leader, and he actually was a very influential early church leader, possibly the most influential early church leader. He actually was a missionary and a church planter. So he would actually travel around the ancient world He would go to different places, he would preach the gospel, he would help people come to know Jesus, and then he would establish churches and move on to different places, and he would just continue to do this all throughout kind of the ancient world. And what we're going to see in Ephesians chapter 4 is the Apostle Paul is going to give us the blueprint for the way that God wants his people to be structured and organized. In other words, he's going to give us a blueprint of the church. He's going to say, this is the way that God wants us to interact, his people to interact in this thing that we call the church. So let's take a look, starting off in verse 11. That's where, we're gonna, that's where we're gonna cut in. So let's take a look together. Ephesians 4, verse 11 it says, so Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. For him, or from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so here you have this incredible little passage and it is just chocked full of some incredible insights where Paul says, here is the way that God desires for his people to be structured. Here is the way that God has organized his people in the church. And so I thought, man, this thing has got so much good content in it. I thought the best way to approach this might be just to go verse by verse and really just kind of talk it through. And so let's do that. Let's actually start at the very top. Look at verse 11 again. And I I think we just got to start here. I don't want to overlook this. The Apostle Paul begins by saying this. He says, Christ himself is the one who gave, and then he goes on to say, the apostles and the prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip people for works of service. Here's what I don't want to miss. It's easy to to just, uh, just glaze right over this, but Paul is very clear that everything he's about to say about the church and about the way God wants his people to be organized comes from Jesus Christ himself. Now, this is really important. I don't want you to miss this because here's what Paul is saying. The church is not some man-made thing. It's not some, some anthropological uh, man-made organization. That's not what the Bible teaches all. Those who follow Jesus believe that the church is actually something that is commissioned by Jesus Christ himself. I don't know if you know this or not, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is the one who said he would establish the church. And Jesus said, I'm gonna build my church and the gates of hell, even the gates of hell are not gonna prevail against it. And so so we believe uh, here at Grace Church, we believe with all of our heart that what we're doing here today when we gather is not just some good idea, it's not just some social club where we just need to be with each other. This isn't just something that we're like, hey, you know what we think is a good idea? Let's do something like this. This is actually something we believe is commissioned by Jesus Christ himself, that the church is a really, really important thing because Christ is the one who instituted it. And so here Paul says, Jesus himself is the one who organizes and structures this thing. And then look what it says next. It says, so Jesus gave to us, Christ gave, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Now, some of you might be saying, and what's that talking about? What does that mean? The apostles and the prophets and evangelists and pastors, what is that talking about when it says that? Well, some of you might be familiar with this, but what this is referring to is something that is taught in other passages of scripture as well called the spiritual gifts. So the Bible says, for example, in Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, here in Ephesians chapter four, the Bible explains that for those of us who follow Jesus, so if you follow Jesus in this room, 
that every single one of us has been endowed with a spiritual gift. Everyone has one. Whether you know it or not, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a gift that God has given to you. It is a spiritual, and you have at least one. It is a spiritual ability. It is a spiritual gift that God has given you that is intended, not just for you, but is intended to be used to help build up other people. Every single one of us has one of these. Now, unfortunately, for time's sake, we're not gonna dig all into what the different spiritual gifts are, but I do just wanna point you to a resource that if you have never looked in depth at the spiritual gifts, if you're a follower of Jesus and you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, I wanna point you to an excellent resource that we have at our church called Discovery. Uh, Discovery is essentially a pathway that is designed to help you discover not only what Grace Church is all about, but also to discover your spiritual gifts and how to use those. And so if you've never uh, been through the discovery process, I would highly encourage you to do that. You can sign up for that on your um, Connect card. It'd be a great way to do that. But for time's sake, here, here's all I wanna say about this, and I just want you to catch this. When, when the Apostle Paul mentions that Christ is the one who gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, these five spiritual gifts he listed, they have one thing in common. And here's what all five of them have in common. These are all leadership giftings. These five gifts that are mentioned here are leadership giftings. And so here's what the Bible says. Christ himself gave to his church leaders. Jesus, gave to, Jesus has organized and structured his church in such a way that he has put certain people with certain gifts to be in places of leadership. Now here's the question. Why did Jesus give leaders to his church? Was it so that those leaders could amass a following for themselves? Was it so that those leaders could somehow utilize that, 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 that leadership as a way to um, exercise power and control over people? Is that why? Is it so that people could come to them so that they could be ministered to by those leaders? No, 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 no. I want you to notice. It says it right here. Why did God give leaders to the church? Now, this is, this is so important, and this is where I want to spend some time because I want you to get this. This is so overlooked. Right here. He has given leaders to the church to equip his people for works of service. Why has God given leaders to the church? Here's why. It is to equip those who follow God, his people, to do works of service service. And I'm just telling you, man, this little statement right here is so important, and I believe it has been so missed, quite honestly, in the experience that many of us have had in the church. Some of you have different translations. It might say it this way. If you have like the old King James version, or if you have a, a new American standard, it says that God has given leaders to equip the saints for ministry. Some of you have versions that say that. Some of you have versions that say to prepare God's people for works of service. There's a lot of different ways you can put it, but here's the bottom line, and here's what I want you to understand. If you are a follower of Christ in this room, all right, catch this, God wants to prepare you to do ministry. God wants to equip you to do acts of service and to do ministry. That is God's will for you. God wants you. God wants you, if you're a follower of Christ, to be prepared and to be equipped so that you can do acts of service, that you can use the spiritual gifts that God has given you to help serve and to minister to other people in your life. That is what God desires for you. I think to understand the power of this statement, it actually comes in understanding two really important words. And the first one is the word equip. The word equip's a real fascinating word. It literally means to prepare something for use. That's literally what it means. It means to make something ready. It means to adequately outfit something to be used. I thought this was helpful. Uh, in the Greek language, the word equip comes from the root word, which literally means to mend a net. It's actually the word. It means to mend nets. And I actually think that's a really helpful word picture. So think about this for a minute. Back in this time, uh, one of the common... Uh, one of the common lines of work was that people were fishermen, and fishers, fishermen would use nets, uh, as they do today, but they would use these nets, and their nets, uh, through much use, they would get frayed, they would break, and they would have to mend their nets. They would have to equip their nets. They'd have to, it's the same word. They would have to prepare their nets. Initially, they'd have to fix them so that they could use them. Now, here's why I think that's so helpful. Think about this for a second. Why does a fisherman mend his broken net? Why does he do this? Here's why. It's not so that he can fix it and mend it and then look at it. He doesn't mend a net just so he can hang it up and display it for other people to see. The reason he mends a net is because he intends to use the net, right? 
So here's the idea. God wants us to be equipped. He wants us to be prepared. Why? Because he wants to use us. God wants to use us for his service. That's the second part right here. God wants to equip his people, look at this, for works of service. And some of your translations say ministry. God wants to use you for ministry. Now, ministry, I don't know about you. This is an interesting word. The word ministry, I don't know if I've ever heard that word outside of church. It's, It's a pretty churchy word. And it's kind of a weird word, ministry, right? I know for me, um, as you can imagine, a lot of times when I'm talking with people, I don't know, like if this actually happened not too long ago, I was, I was getting my hair cut and I was talking to the lady that was cutting my hair and she asked me, she said, what do you do for a living? And, uh, and I said, well, I work at a church. And, and then after she stopped swearing and put away her cigarette, no, she wasn't actually smoking, not when she was cutting my hair at least, um, after all that happened, she said, oh, you work at a church? I said, yeah, I work at a church. And she said, oh, are you a minister? Right, that's the question. Are you, are you, a, you must be in ministry, is what she said. Sometimes people say, are you a reverend? They'll ask me that, which I actually prefer that, by the way. I would like it if you called me the honorable reverend Lavigny. That's what I prefer, right? And, no, I'm just kidding. Just call me Tony, right? That's fine. But, but yeah, ministry, what is ministry? Well, real simple, the word ministry or service, it actually just means to serve. That's all it means. And here, here, here's what it means, all right? What does it mean that God wants you to be in ministry? It means that God wants you to use your God-given gifts and abilities to help other people know and grow in Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, this is what God wants for you. He wants you to utilize the gift that he has given you, the spiritual gifts he's given you, and God wants to use you to help other people in your family, in your workplace, in the world that you live in, to know and grow in Christ. He wants to use you to do ministry. That's what God wants for every single one of his people is he wants that to be the case. Let me see if I can put it in the most simple terms I know how to, all right? So this is as simply as I know how to put it. I could just tell you, I know that there are three things that God wants for each and every single one of us in this room. I know this because the Bible says this. There are three things that God wants. Very simple, three things that God wants for you. Here they are. First and foremost, God wants to do some stuff for you. All right, so I know this. I know this is true. In the Bible that I read, the Bible's pretty clear. God wants to do some stuff for you. You're like, well, what kind of, what kind of stuff are you talking about? What kind of stuff does God want to do for me? All right, well, let's give you some examples. How about this one? God wants to forgive you of your sins. That's what God wants for you. That's what Jesus is all about, right? Christ has come to offer himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God wants you to experience the forgiveness of your sins. He wants that for you. How about this one? God wants you to have eternal life. God wants you to experience life eternal. John 3, 16, right? That's John 3, 16. God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. Life, that's what God wants for you. He wants that for you. God loves you. He wants some stuff for you, man. Here, you know what else God wants for you? He wants you to live a life where there is no condemnation, no guilt. That's what he wants for you. Romans chapter eight, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God wants that for you. How about this? God wants you to have life to the fullest. That's what Jesus said. He said, I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. He wants that for you. God wants you, you know what he wants for you? He wants blessing for you. God wants you to be blessed. Now, mind you, the way that we define blessing is sometimes different than the way that God defines blessing, but God's definition of blessing is much richer and fuller than we can think in our limited understanding. But God wants some stuff for you, all right? But that's not all. Here's the second thing. God wants to do some stuff in you. So yeah, God wants to do some stuff for you, but that's not it. God also wants to do some stuff in you. You're like, what are you talking about there? Well, this is this whole idea uh, that scholars call sanctification. And the idea is that God wants to make you more like Jesus. He wants to refine your character. And he wants you to think like and act like and be motivated more like Christ. And he wants to do that in you. He wants his fruit of the Holy Spirit to work through you. So for example, Galatians says the fruit of the Spirit is things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God wants all of that in you. He wants to work that in you and refine your character. So God wants to do some stuff for you. He wants to do some stuff in you. But there's actually one other thing. And you guys are real smart here at the the 915 hour. And so let me just ask you, can you guess what the third one is? God wants to do some stuff for you, in you. And here's the third one. Can you guess it? Through you. You got it. Yeah. God wants to do some stuff through you. 
through you. You're like, what kind of stuff are you talking about? Well, ministry, service. He's endowed you with spiritual gifts. He wants you to use those things so you can help serve and bolster other people. He wants to do some stuff through you, all right? Now, now here's the thing about these three things. I've been a pastor long enough that I know pretty well by now how these three issues tend to fly with people, all right? So let me just tell you how that usually goes, how people tend to respond to these. So on issue number one, God wants to do some stuff for you. Let me just say, everybody likes this one. We all like, uh, all in, let me just ask, all in favor of God doing stuff for you? Say I. I, yeah, me too, right? And God wants to do some stuff for me? Yes, please, and thank you, and here's a funnel, and don't spill any, right? I will take all that God wants to give to me because I love God doing stuff for me. We like this one a lot. As a matter of fact, there are scores of books that are written on this topic of what God wants to do for you, and they usually make the New York Times bestsellers list because we like this one. God's gonna do some stuff for me? Yes, please. Are you gonna preach a message about God doing stuff for me? I like that one. We like it. Now, let me tell you about issue two. All right, on issue two, God wants to do some stuff in you. Most people tolerate that one. God wants to do some stuff in you. Okay, what exactly do you mean by that? Well, here, God wants to make you more patient. Do you wanna be more patient? I don't know. (laughs) What does that require exactly? Well, it might mean that God's going to put some situations in your life that are going to test your patience. (sighs) All right. I'm not going to ask him for it, but if he wants to bring it, I'll tolerate. Just don't stop the for me, and I'll tolerate the in me, right? God wants to make you a more loving person. Are you cool with that? Uh, I don't know. I think I'm okay where I'm at right now. As long as being a more loving person doesn't mean that God's going to introduce someone in my life that's hard to love, okay, right? So we tolerate it. So we love for, for you. We tolerate in you. Now, let me just tell you, when we get to issue number three, this is where the train usually stops. And honestly, most followers of Jesus, this is where it just ends, right here. And, and whether it be because of an insecurity or whether it be because of a fear of hypocrisy. There's a lot of different reasons. A lot of Christ followers say, yeah, for me, God, yeah, for me, in me, okay. Through me, <laughs> no, 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 not, not me. I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. If you knew what my life was like, if you knew the hypocrisy, and I don't have my life together, God couldn't, God couldn't work through me. Now, he could work through you, Tony. He could work through you. He could work through Pastor Seth. Guy sings like a dove, right? You're like, he could work through a guy like that. He could work through, you know, Tommy and Steve and Clark and Sarah Beth and Dan and all. He can, he can work through you guys, through you, oh, but not me. And let me just tell you, that is simply not true. It's not true. And let me tell you, it is God's will for you that he wants to do some stuff for you and in you, but oh, he wants to do some stuff through you. And I'll just tell you right now, and anyone in this room can probably testify this, there is no greater joy, there is no greater fulfillment in this life than being used by Almighty God as a conduit of his love and his grace in the lives of other people. And I'm just telling you, God wants that for you. He wants that for you. He wants to do some stuff in you, and he wants to use you. He wants to work through you to do ministry, to serve as a conduit of his love and his grace into the world that we live in. And I'll just tell you, this picture that we're talking about right here, it is very different than the Papa Bear model. It is very, very different because what it tells us is that it is the job of every follower of Jesus to do ministry. So just to be real clear, my job here as a pastor on this team at the Medina East Campus, our job as leaders here, your life group leaders, our job is actually not to do ministry. All right, so let's just be super clear. My job as a pastor at Grace is not to do ministry. Some of you are like, well, then what exactly is your job? Right? Some of you are like, you know what? I've been asking that from day one. What is it that you do here? Right? And well, let me tell you, I'll give you my job description. God laid it out right here in Ephesians 4. Here is my job description in a sentence. It is to equip God's people, those of us who follow Christ, to do ministry. 
It is to prepare you, it is to equip you, it is to help you understand that God has given you a gift to recognize how to use that, to equip you to know how to do that, to equip you to know the scriptures so that you can go and do the work that God has created you to do. That's my job. Now, be clear, it's my job as a Christian to do ministry. That's the job of every Christian. And as a Christ follower, that's my job as well. But as a leader, as a pastor, listen, my my job description is right here. It is to help equip God's people for works of service. And so we wanna become here at Grace Church, increasingly, uh, a church in which you don't simply come to receive from a limited number of people. We want this to be a church where we are in every member ministry. And basically what I mean by that is that every follower of Christ is being equipped and trained to give it away to others in their life and to others within it. We wanna be in every member ministry, right? We've talked about this before. There's over 50 one another commandments in scripture. And it's all about how we minister to one another. Confess your sins to one another. It doesn't say confess your sins to Papa Bear. It says bear one another's burdens. Speak truth into each other's life. We're to do that with each other. And we're to do that with those who God has put in our lives. It's a very, very different picture than I think what we've seen in, in maybe the traditions that we're used to. And let me just tell you, what the Bible's gonna say here in Ephesians is it's gonna say that when this happens, when we actually follow the blueprint that Christ himself has given us, the Bible says there are great things in store for a church like this. There are great things in store for a church like this. And there's great things at stake if this is missing. So let me just show you. What's in store? What's in store? Well, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says when this happens, what's the effect? Well, so that, this all happens so that, in other words, this leads to the body of Christ being built up. Now, I just want to pause there for a second. The body of Christ, if you're newer to the church, that might sound weird to you. Um, we're actually gonna talk about that in a couple of weeks. And so we will spend some time explaining what that is. But look at this, here's the effect. It says the body of Christ is gonna be built up. We're gonna reach unity in the faith. There's gonna be the knowledge of the son of God and we're gonna become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So get this, here's what's in store. The Bible says if we do this, if, if we're committed to the structure that Christ has put in place, the blueprint that he's put in place, here's what's in store for us. Maturity, spiritual maturity. God wants to use this so that we can all grow up together. And I I think this actually points out a very, very important feature about your spiritual growth and my spiritual growth and your spiritual maturity and my spiritual maturity. And it's this. This Bible, I remember this was so mind-blowing to me when I first discovered this. What the Bible is telling us right here is that spiritual maturity is impossible apart from community and apart from using your gifts to help lovingly serve others. It's impossible. And so I've had a lot of people who have said to me, I don't need the church, and I don't need leaders in my life, and all I need is my Bible, and I just need Jesus, and I just need to go to the woods. That's all I need to become a spiritually mature person. And I'm just telling you, Jesus Christ himself didn't say that. The Jesus you follow, that you say he's the only one I need, didn't tell you that. He said, no, 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 this is, this is the way it works. We grow together. The way we mature is together. And we grow up in this way. And so the Bible says there's incredible things in store when a church has equipping in place. But then notice, there's some stuff at stake if it's missing. I think it's implied in the next verse. Here it says, then we'll no longer be infants. So what's at stake? Well, here's what's at stake. If equipping is not present, the Bible says that we will be stunted in our growth and we'll be arrested in our development and we will remain in a place of spiritual infancy. We'll never grow. And we'll get stuck in a place where we're basically spiritual infants. By the way, this idea of spiritual infancy, I actually really like this metaphor. Um, I like it because I'm very familiar with it right now. So my wife and I, we have a five-month-old at home. His name is Louie, little Louie Lavigny. It's a nice Italian name. Feels, sounds like he should have a cigar in that time. But he's five months, so he's an infant, right? And, um, and so here's the thing about infants, and I, I observe this every day. Infants, the one characteristic about them that is like a staple characteristic is infants notoriously rely on mom and dad for everything. But they have to, they're infants. And so my little, my little dude, Louie, right now, uh, he relies on us for everything at five months. So he relies on his mom for food, he relies on us to change his diaper, uh, he can't walk or crawl anywhere, so we have to pick him up and take him. In fact, that's, that's the summary of our life right now, is picking up our son and putting him in different places. Like, put him in the swing, put him in the bouncer, put him in the whatever, put him where, that's what we do right now. He can't do anything for himself. In fact, I was just talking to him about this the other day. I was like, Louie, you gotta start pulling your weight around here, man. You gotta get a job, right? And that, but 
But no, it's, he's an infant, and that's fine. It's expected, and it's cute. But let's be honest, it can't stay that way. It just can't stay there. And the reason that God has given him parents is so that his parents can equip him for life, to raise him and train him and equip him so that eventually he'll be responsible on his own to take care of himself and ultimately take care of other people too. And, and the Bible says that when equipping isn't in place, we'll, just, we'll remain in a state of spiritual infancy. We'll rely on someone to give us everything that we need. And the Bible says it's not good. It's not good for the growth and the health of his people. Then I want you to notice what else it says is at stake. This is interesting. This is really fascinating. The Apostle Paul says if equipping doesn't take place, God's people are susceptible to being tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Now, what's that talking about? Well, here's what the Bible says. When there's not equipping present, uh, God's people will be unstable and they'll be blown and they'll be tossed and they'll fluctuate a whole bunch and that's just... A, some of you are like, well, what does that look like? Well, actually, I thought this might be a helpful uh, illustration to help you kind of remember it, but I was thinking about being blown and tossed, and I couldn't help but think of a beach ball. I thought, man, this is a good illustration, something that's easily blown and tossed. I actually don't know why they call these beach balls. Beaches are the worst places to have these, aren't they? Because they just, you get, they just get lost. But I just thought, just for the sake of illustration, let's just play that game. You guys want to play a game? Let's play a game how long we can keep this off the ground. All right, you guys down for that? All right, here we go. You guys got to do better than the 7 o'clock service last night. So here we go. Nice. Oh, 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 nice. Oh. <laughs> Dang it. All right, let's try it again. One more time. One more round. Let's go again. Here we go. Let's try this side over here. Oh, dude. <laughs> that was totally on you. You completely, you completely failed us. All right. Instead of back up here, that's good. Thank you, guys. All right, so illustration, pretty easy to understand, but here's, here's the idea. The Bible says that when equipping is not present, this is what the Christian life is susceptible to looking like. It is unstable. What is this pointing to? Here's what it's pointing to. There is a need in the life of believers of Jesus to be grounded and rooted in the word of God, to know what scripture says and to know how to discern what is going on and, and how to discern the competing voices that we are bombarded with at any point in time. What this is pointing to is a need to be grounded and rooted in scripture. And I'll just tell you what, there's an increasing need for this. I was actually trying to find some statistics and I found too many, I didn't even know which ones to point to, that point out the staggering nature of biblical illiteracy among American Christians today. It's staggering, it is staggering. And here's the problem. There is a need for us to be grounded and rooted in God's word because if we're not, we're gonna be blown and tossed. We have to be equipped to know what his word says. I was reminded of this, the need to be equipped and trained and grounded and rooted in God's word so that we could discern. Just the other day, I was at the store, and you guys know um, there's, like that, there's like a section in stores where you can find posters and, and pictures that you can put up around your house. And um, I was looking at these different pictures, and they had these inspirational quotes on them. And I'm a quote guy, so I like to read, and I was reading through the quotes. And as I was reading through the quotes, I noticed that most of the quotes, they're really nice and inspirational, but the majority of the quotes were just absolutely contradictory to what scripture says. And I couldn't help but wonder, I'm like, I wonder how many of us who follow Jesus have these things hanging in our house and they just totally contradict with scripture. So for example, I'll just show you one of them. Here was one I saw, I said, follow your heart because it always knows, because it always knows. And I thought, that's a, that's a pretty you know, quote. That's kind of, sounds inspirational, sounds a little motivational. It's got a nice font, cool background going on with it, that kind of stuff. <laughs> I thought, but that is exactly the opposite of what Scripture teaches. Like, I mean, exactly. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that your heart is wicked and deceitful. The, here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 3. It says, um, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. This quote following this, this will get you into all kinds of trouble. My guess is your night of most regret probably was because you were following your heart, right? And I'm just saying that what happens is if we're not grounded and rooted in God's word, we read something like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, I like that quote. That's pretty. And I'm like, we're blown and we're tossed. We're blown and we're tossed. There was one I read, William Shakespeare, to thine own self, above all else, to thine own self be true. I thought, man, that sounds really great. It's just not what Jesus said at all. It's the opposite. 
This one, I just wanted to show you because I thought this one was insane. It said, shoot for the moon, and even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. I literally don't even know what that means. Uh, that's not even astronomically correct. The stars are so much further away than the moon. If you miss, you're going to be off into no man. I don't know. Anyway, so that to me, I was just like, whatever. But all I'm saying is there's a need for this because we will be blown and tossed every time we watch a movie or we hear a song that tells us this is the right way to live life. This is where freedom is found. Whenever we read a blog or a post about here is the way that we should live as humans and here is how we should understand parenting and sexuality, there's a need for discernment. Otherwise, we'll be blown and tossed by every wind of teaching. I remember this one time, there was a girl, I was uh, doing college ministry, and there was a girl who we were talking, and I don't even remember the, the conversation, but I remember at one point she said to me, she said, man, what we're talking about right now, she said, it reminds me a lot of that Bible verse. And I said, oh yeah? I said, which Bible verse are you talking about? And she said, you know that one where it says, if we build it, they will come. <laughs> and, and I didn't say anything because I didn't want to embarrass her, you know, but at the same time I thought, that's not in the Bible. That's definitely from the field of dreams. Like, definitely. But you see, what happens is, like, we just, we have this hodgepodge of there's this neat thing, and, I, and there's a need for us to experience discerning. Equipping is necessary because we'll grow up, we'll no longer be infants, we'll know how to serve each other, and we won't be blown and tossed, is what the Bible says, like the wind. So here's the question then. What needs to happen for us to experience this picture that we see in Ephesians 4? What is needed? I'll tell you, I think there's two things that are needed. And the first one is this. Without a doubt, this passage is very clear that a big part of the onus of this passage is on the leadership. And that's just true. One of the things that needs to happen for this to take place is that leaders need to take that job very seriously to equip the saints for ministry. So part of it is on the leadership. A big part of it's on the leadership. And can I just be real honest with you? As a pastor in our church, that terrifies me. Honestly, it scares me. And the reason is because I know that one day I'm gonna have to stand before God and he is going to ask me and I'm gonna have to give an answer on how I did on this. Did you pour yourself out in helping to equip my people for works of service? Did you do that? How did you do on the job? I don't think God's gonna ask me how well I entertained people in my sermon. I don't think God's gonna ask us how big our church is. I think what he's gonna ask us is, is how did you do on this? The way I've designed, and I'll just be honest, that terrifies me to some extent. And so part of it's on the leaders. The leaders have to create opportunities and environments for God's people to be equipped, right? We need to be for you, not just about coming to listen to some person or be amazed by the way one person does ministry or be impressed by that, which is, to be honest, it's not that impressive, right? but it is to help fuel and equip God's people and release them to do the thing that God has called for them to do. Some of you might be saying, well, how exactly does the leadership do that here? What are the opportunities we have for equipping? Well, I'll just give you a few. I do wanna let you know that every decision we make, we are honestly thinking through this, this whole thing of how can we help equip God's people for works of service. But I'll just point you to three things, three, three different ways, three steps you can take. You can choose any one of these as a step towards equipping. The first one's super easy. It's, it's this whole discovery process. So at Grace, we have this thing called discovery. Discovery is essentially a pathway that's designed to help you discover your next steps here at Grace. That's the whole kind of idea. There's four parts. It's intro, equip, identify, and connect. In this process, you're gonna understand what the church is according to scripture. You're gonna understand what your spiritual gifts are. You're gonna understand how to utilize those spiritual gifts within a context like this. Now, I'll just tell you, the discovery process isn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but the whole heart behind this is it's just an opportunity to help connect and equip God's people for works of service. That's one thing you can get connected to. That's one next step you can take. Uh, you can sign up for that, by the way, if you want to in those connect cards that we have. I'd encourage you to do that. Here's the second thing. Uh, life groups. Life groups are designed to help equip God's people for the service that he's created them for. Uh, we recognize very clearly that in the Bible, aside from biblical community, connected biblical community, it is impossible to fully follow Jesus the way he desires for you. So the avenue in which we provide biblical community, one of the ways that we do that is through life groups. That's why you always hear us talking about if you're not in a life group, get in a life group. If you're not in a life group, you're getting less than half of what Grace Church has to offer. And the reason is because we believe this is something that Christ wants for all of us. And at life group, uh, your life group leaders have this same heartbeat 
And the heartbeat is to equip God's people for the service that he's created for them to do. So take that next step. That's a big one. And then the last one I'll point to is the equipping division. If you've been around here for the past couple of weeks, you've heard us talk about this. The equipping division was designed and built specifically with Ephesians 4 in mind. That's the whole reason it exists. It is to equip the saints for ministry, to equip God's people to do service. And so the equipping division is a series of eight-week practical um, university level. So it's high content, but it's practical. It's not just about filling your head with information. Uh, These are training and equipping courses that are prepared to equip you in things like how to know and study your Bible, to understand what it is, to have a, a deeper understanding of it, to be rooted in that. It's about understanding the basics of Christianity. It's about employing you to use the gifts that God has given you um, in in your sphere of life. So the equipping division, uh, these courses begin, by the way, on Tuesday, September 25th. I do wanna tell you that if you're interested in jumping in on those, you still can do that. It's not too late. Uh, But I will encourage you that if you're interested, you're probably gonna wanna sign up quick. Um, Registration closes on Thursday, this Thursday. And unfortunately, for space sake, we had to cap the classes. We have two classes that are offered. They're both almost at capacity for space sake, but I would encourage you to get connected to those things and that would be awesome. Now, some of you might be saying, the equipping division sounds awesome, but it doesn't work with my calendar. Is is this ever gonna show up again? And the answer is yes, every spring and every fall there's gonna be an opportunity to jump into equipping courses. And so get this, you can actually sign up for for the spring semester now. And if you go to our website and you click on the equipping division, you can go ahead and register for courses now and that'll prepare you for the spring. But that's a way, again, this whole thing is designed and built to help equip God's people for works of service. So part of it, how are we gonna experience this? Part of it is that part of it's on the leadership. Leadership has to create spaces and environments for equipping to happen. But here's the second thing. The second thing is that part of it is on all of us. Part of it is on you, right? That you have to be, in order for this to happen, you have to be willing to embrace uncomfortable equipping. You have to be willing to make yourself a little uncomfortable. You have to be willing to stretch yourself and get everything I just mentioned to you, discovery, life groups, equipping division, all of those things are time commitments and I know you're all busy. I don't know a a non-busy person in my life. We're all busy. It requires a time commitment. It requires uh, a, some, some sense of awkwardness. You're gonna have to break into relationships. That's awkward at first, right? It's gonna require stretching. If you're part of the equipping division, it's gonna stretch you because it's probably gonna go outside of the bounds of what you're used to. But I'm just saying, you have to be willing to embrace some of this stuff. Yeah, it, it requires a willingness on your part to say, you know what? I'm not content sitting at a surface level knowledge of the Bible. I'm just not content with that. It's time to dig in. It's time to go deeper. I'm not content with the fact that maybe I've never, I'm a follower of Jesus and I've never shared my faith with another person. I'm not content with that. It's time to make a change. It's time to do something about it. And that means I have to be willing to embrace the discomfort of equipping. Honestly, I think that one of the big features of this is that you have, in our culture especially, one of the things that keeps us from this is we have to, we have to fight an uphill battle against consumerism for this to take place. I think one of the greatest enemies to what we see in Ephesians 4 is consumerism. I think all of us know consumerism. We live in a country where we have a consumeristic mentality, and that basically is we do things for what we get out of them. That we find value in things simply for what we get out of them. I remember uh, Brett McCracken, he wrote this incredible book. Uh, by the way, I w- it's actually called Uncomfortable. I love the title of the book. It's called Uncomfortable, The Awkward and Essential Challenge of Christian Community. It's not a great title for a book. Phenomenal read. I would encourage you to pick it up. Here's what he says, though, talking about consumerism. I thought this was very strong. He said, in our society, we curate our social feeds so that everything we see befits our tastes and our leanings. If a tweet annoys us, we unfollow that Twitter. On Netflix, we populate my list with all that our over-mediated hearts desire. If we start a movie and the first 10 minutes are boring, we remove it from the list and we forget about it forever. Consumerism is about, the unlimited, cho- is about unlimited choice and unlimited speed. We choose exactly what we want, take only what we want from it, and then we move on. And so this is, this, is, this is the air we breathe. This is the culture we live in, right? That's just what it is. It's not good or bad or whatever. It's just what it is. But the problem is, and he goes on to say this, this mindset has infiltrated the way we approach church. And so as a thing that we can design to according to our own checklists of preferences, and if a church stops catering to our desires or makes us uncomfortable, we move on. 
There's dozens of other options in town. Consumerism is chronic dissatisfaction. We're always on the quest for more and better, hoping for new heights of satisfaction. And I love the way he ends it. He says this, the church does not exist to meet our comfort zone preferences, but rather to destabilize them, to jostle us awake from the dead eye stupor of a culture of comfort worship that, now watch this, impedes our growth. It impedes our growth. I think, and I think these words are hard but true. I think what he's saying is, man, if we're gonna see something like this happen, if we're really gonna grow the way God wants us to grow, we have to be willing to be jostled out of our comfort zone. And part of that happens is a willingness to embrace uncomfortable equipping. Because when God's people embrace uncomfortable equipping, when that happens, it unleashes God's power and we grow and we mature. And when we grow and we mature, it unleashes God's power through the body of Christ and we get to be part of this unstoppable movement. And so when the people of God become uncomfortable for the things of God, it unleashes the power of God and we join the unstoppable movement. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, I just wanna say thank you for preserving for us this incredible picture of the way that you have uh, kind of designed your church to work, the blueprint that we see in this, in, in this passage. And God, we just wanna recognize that you're wise and you're smart and the way that you design things is for a purpose. And um. God, we recognize that what we're talking about is pretty countercultural, quite honestly. And it's, uh, for some of us, it's a total shift in thinking. But, um, but God, I pray that you would give us the wisdom and strength that we need to be able to see something like this take place. And Jesus, we just want to realize and admit that this whole thing is your, it's your idea. You know, it's, it's your church. God, it's your spirit. It's your spiritual gifts. It's your word. It's all yours. Everything is yours. Help us to be yours. Help us to surrender ourselves to you and to your beautiful design because we honestly believe, Jesus, that in you is the fullness of life. We honestly believe that you desire what's best for us and you know what's best for us and you care about us and you love us and you want some stuff for us. My gosh, you, you have lavished us with unbelievable blessing, such incredible things you've done for us. But you also wanna work in us. You wanna change us, transform us, and then you wanna do some stuff through us. So help us, Father, to have a position of our heart where we don't just simply sit in the for us spot, but that we also would embrace the in us and that we would say, here I am, God, send me, use me. Man, we're, we're insecure and we're broken people and none of us are perfect, but the thought that you can use us is thrilling. And so I pray you'd make us available and willing. And we ask it in Christ's name, amen.